Oh, I clickied. I clickied. Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast. This is your special Christmas episode. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about what to do if you've been deferred. Now, a lot of you have just gotten your early decision, early action decisions back, and you might have been accepted, in which case, congratulations, stop listening to this podcast and go have some fun. Uh, you might have been rejected, in which case, sorry, um, that's that. And you might have been deferred which is kind of this weird in-between zone that is a really difficult and weird place to be in. So we're going to talk in this episode about what that means, uh, about what you can do about that, and about how we feel about deferrals, because I definitely have some opinions. And as someone who doesn't need to, you know, brown-nose colleges anymore, I get to say some of those opinions. Now, (laughs) before we dive into the episode, I just want to talk to you a little bit about how we're recording today, because it's kind of ridiculous. Okay, so... I'm in China right now because I'm visiting relatives. I flew out mm-hmm. uh, Friday, two days after my last final. Today is December 25th at 8.50 a.m. That's right. For Michael. I'm recording on Christmas Day. When is it for you, Dominic? It is currently 6.49 p.m. on the 24th. Christmas Eve. Yes. And then we also have a knee that couldn't join us because she is in Houston. Uh, which is not close to Dallas. Yeah, if you don't know that, we have some issues. You gotta know your <laughs> Texas geography. Texas is the most important state. Yeah. Because we're in Basically, everybody else makes it hard to record. I'm just chilling in Dallas. <laughs> Back at the headquarters. Uh, well, you know, this is how much we love the podcast, that we're recording on Christmas Day and for Dominic, Christmas Eve. Um, I still don't think your parents are fine with this but you know we're just gonna carry on i can't annoy them if i'm recording a podcast really <clears throat> i guess i don't know all right we'll circle this back to okay. that we'll, we'll we'll give you the feedback i think they'd rather the me episode. uh get into college than just <laughs> you know <clears throat> anyway anyways um, yeah, so Nick could not join us this week. Uh, definitely will be with us next episode. Next episode. Uh, but we just want to get this out for you. Those of you who have been experiencing deferrals lately, uh, we want to be able to help you with this because some of us here at the Emissions Uncovered podcast do have some experience with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I was deferred from Princeton early action and did not get in. So, you know, take that for what you will. But I do have some thoughts about what I could have done to maybe get in. Uh, but I definitely have thoughts about what it means to be deferred and how you should treat that deferral and, you know, how you should react to it. And if one wasn't enough, uh, I also was deferred uh, this year. So, you know, keeping that streak alive, the Emissions Uncovered podcast. So Michael kind of went through it and he's going to offer some advice for me and I can kind of relate to what it was uh, like for me. For those of you who have not experienced the lovely joy of being deferred, mm. uh, Michael, what is a deferral? So, like I kind of said before, deferral is kind of the in-between zone between an acceptance and a rejection. It definitely is not an acceptance. You are not, not, not into the school. But it's also not a rejection. You're not completely out of the game. What a deferral means is that the admissions officers and the admission committee read your application, said you might be a good fit, but we're not entirely sure. Uh, So they don't accept you immediately. Instead, they put you into the regular decision round of applicants 
and evaluate your application in the context of the regular decision pool. And that word, that phrase, in the context of, basically just means your application is just going to be reviewed again, this time in comparison to the people applying regular decision. Now, it might sound like a good thing, you know, that, oh, I'm still in the game, but as we'll talk about later, it's not that great of a chance that you're going to get in. One thing I will say about the uh, chances before we proceed is it's very conditional on the school that you got deferred from. Some of them defer high amounts and then later on don't accept a lot of them. Other ones will defer really low amounts. So if you do get deferred from some of those schools, you have a much higher chance of getting in after. So it definitely does depend on the school that you got deferred from. Right. I think we do have some numbers on this, but I'll just speak from what I know about this, you know, Princeton, where I early to. Princeton basically does not reject anybody out of the early action round of decisions. A very, very small percentage. They must have messed up big time to get rejected, right? Um, And so because there are so many people who get deferred, the value of the deferral is so much less because it's just kind of the default option after, you know, you're either accepted or deferred. If you're rejected up front, then you're completely out of the game. But a deferral is just kind of the other default option, which means it's not actually that positive of a deal. It really is just another rejection or like a soft form of the rejection, if you will. Yeah, Harvard's deferral is pretty much the same. One one school before we proceed that where if you get deferred from there, it's actually uh, looking pretty good for your application would be Stanford. They defer a much lower percent of the early applicants and then reject a much greater percent uh, than Harvard and Princeton. So if you do get deferred from Stanford, that's going to be completely different. And that's what we mean by saying it all depends on the school. Right, right. Yeah, I think Northwestern only has a 3% deferral rate, which is just incredible when you compare it to something like you know the school I early to Princeton, which I think has an above 70% uh, deferral rate. So evaluate the context of def- your deferral within like the school that you're applying to, because the numbers could be different for each one. But for Princeton and for Harvard, you know, the two that we're most interested in, treat that deferral as like a 99.99% likelihood of a rejection. It sucks, I know. I've been through it many times, don't worry. Um, (laughs) But it is what it is, right? But, you know, like, I think it's, I think it's, a really tough thing for us to get deferrals it's really kind of weird emotionally so i guess we should talk about that a little bit dominic you've just been deferred mm-hmm. how does it I how did. does it feel what is it like um i think i made the wise decision because it was going to come out the night before a uh, very important final of mine i made the decision to push that off and open it after the final i don't know i don't I wasn't expecting like a super big rush of emotion uh, any of the three ways. I think when I opened it, it was, I don't know, the <laughs> the most intense part was right before I opened it. Like, you know, you're waiting for it to load. Yeah. Until you're, you're, uh, I opened it on my phone, so my login information was like preloaded in there, so I just clicked login. Um, and my heart was racing, of course, and then once you open it, obviously having known Michael and him going through it before, I kind of knew what it was going to be like. Yeah. Uh, if the deferral happened and because it's about you know super high percentages uh, i knew that that was probably going to be the occurrence just odds wise and then i just i think i kind of just took it like it was i know different students at my school took it 
their letters different ways. But for me, it was it was just a uh, all right. Well, it is what it is. Um, you know, obviously, I'm going to pursue uh, trying to get in regular. But then you at some point, especially at a high deferral rate school, you just need to realize that you have other applications that you have going on and you just need to take care of those as well. And that's something that we'll talk about how to approach uh, after a deferral letter in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just like the only way you can take a deferral letter or even a rejection letter from the early round of decisions, which is that it is what it is. If you got a deferral letter from a school like I did, Princeton, or Harvard or whatever, or any of those schools that have a really high deferral rate, then it's basically rejection and you can't get your hopes too high. You need to do really solid regular decision applications. And even if you've been deferred from a school like Northwestern or Stanford, it's not a guaranteed in. You are. It was not a re- acceptance letter. If they wanted to accept you, they would have accepted you. So you're still not guaranteed entrance into those low deferral rate schools. So you have to be focused on getting in somewhere you would love to go to or you'd be comfortable going to regular decision. And that means I don't want to say just get over it. It's going to be fine because when adults say that, it... <laughs> Beep pisses me off because we can't be explicit on <laughs> iTunes because that's a that's another story. But it just pisses me off because you don't we don't know if what's going to happen, and that's what is scary and annoying and frustrating about this process. There's a lot of stuff we don't know, but the only thing you do know is that what matters to you now is regular decision. You just have to focus on regular decision. You have to take whatever awfulness the early action, early decision decision might have brought and just put it out of your mind for the next two weeks and focus solely on regular decision applications because if you're just stuck on early decision early action uh, decisions then it's it's just not going to be it's not going to be pretty right and so you know like Mm -hmm. i think that's what i did to some success i got deferred from princeton it was an awful day it was an awful night (laughs) like the weekend was not that the weekend was a little bit like me in bed. Like I did like maybe one essay and then I read it the Monday after and I was like, wow, this is so sad. I can't submit this. This sounds like I'm like depressive or something. Um, but you know, then Monday hit and I realized I had to go. And so I went, I did the other college applications and you know, things turned out fine. I, I will say one thing. Um, I know Michael's talked about this before. He says the day after his deferral was the most productive day. I believe the, you said that before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at least for me, I don't. I didn't feel the same. I thought. I thought I would. Right. Usually, that type of emotion would be motivating for me, but I just was not feeling it more than what I was before. Obviously I wasn't doing nothing before I opened that letter, but I think I just kind of continued my drive to work on supplements. There wasn't like a newfound motivation. And that's one thing I was kind of expecting. I wasn't relying on it, but I expected it to happen just from talking to Michael and what he went through, yeah. but it was definitely different. So I, I definitely learned that it's d- different. People take it different ways and don't rely on that. Um, I'm lucky I did not rely on that happening, but please do not rely on a rejection or deferral to spur some needed motivation to complete your essays. Yeah, you kind of just have to do it. And (laughs) I don't know, like it sounds very harsh, but Mm -hmm. it is what it is. You just have to chug on and keep trucking. That's the game. You just got to play the game. 
apply to your other schools. All right. Um, before we skip over this, I think it's important to kind of talk about why schools defer yeah. a little bit more. Uh, so, Michael, why do schools defer? Uh, I mean, I'm not – whenever we ask this question – the honest answer is that none of us know because none of us are admissions officers mm-hmm. and even admissions officers don't know because honestly it's not in their control right it's mostly up to a committee of people with different opinions different thoughts but you know there could be a variety mm-hmm. of reasons and one that comes up a lot particularly and i think mostly at lower tier state schools mid-tier schools is that you know your grades might not be high enough and they're waiting to see what happens when you submit your mid-year report with your first semester transcript if you're Scores are good there, you get in. If not, you're out. Sometimes it just might be the case of we need some more information. And if that's the case, generally the school will call your counselor and let you know. The other reason is they reject you, but they don't want to give you a hard rejection. So they give you a soft rejection or a deferral. Um, And, you know, I think the third reason is just that the kind of just nebulous in-between zone, which is that you could be a student here, but we don't know if we really want you here as a student, so let's see how you stack up to everybody else, right? So you're not exceptional enough to get in early, right? But they still think you might be better than some regular decision candidates and still might be competitive in that regular decision pool. Yeah, I think the difference in deferral percentages between Stanford and Harvard and Princeton is interesting because while they're of the same caliber and they have the same caliber students applying, uh, their their numbers are completely different. At least for me, if I was an admissions officer at one of those top schools, I think it makes sense to defer a large amount of the early applicants. Obviously, they can't take all of them because that would like triple their class size that they could take yeah. out of all the applicants. But typically, if you're going to be applying to a Harvard or Princeton or Stanford early action, you probably could fit in academic wise and then you probably have stronger extracurriculars there has to be some reason why you think you could have gotten in because why are you going to apply early if you don't think you can get in uh so they have this big stack of students they can't take initially but they have this large amount of slots in their class that they can take regular as well so i think it does make sense to kind of push those over into the regular decision because it, it doesn't make sense to just flat out reject them if they're good students well, you know, I think that theory of why deferrals happen would only make sense in a world where deferral candidates actually had a similar acceptance rates to candidates who are RD. And obviously it depends for school. Some schools don't release those numbers. Columbia certainly does not. The school I'm at currently. But in many instances, deferral rates, deferral students have like a 0.02% chance of getting in or something very, very small. Whereas regular decision, it's also small, but it's higher than the deferral rate. So I will not be as nice to colleges. I think colleges who defer <laughs> students are monsters, are absolute monsters. Because think of what, think of the timeline, right? You apply to your early school in November. You hear back mid-December. That gives the school maybe three to four weeks, a month, a month, about a month to make that decision. You've gotten your chance to make the decision about where you want to go, apply to. The school's gotten their choice to make their decision. Well, a deferral rate gives the school a whole bunch more time. How much more time? Well, Ivy's release their decisions uh, near the end of March, right? So for me, Ivy Day, the day where all the Ivy's released decisions, was March 28th. So let's just 
for the sake of argument, say, you know, you get have the complete whole month of March for the Ivies to make their decisions. Well, March, January, February, March, that's three months. Add in December, four months. A deferral gives a school four more months to make a decision on your application. Four more months of you waiting. And I don't know. I just don't think colleges deserve that much time. They don't need that much time. They can make a decision, but they choose not to. They choose to prolong this agony for people. And uh, and especially, this is mostly a criticism towards schools like Princeton, which have a very high deferral rate. Now, if you're a school like Northwestern with a 3% deferral rate, Stanford with something similarly low, then it makes sense because the deferral actually adds value. The deferral shows the students you actually have a chance to get in. But the Princeton deferral letter does not indicate that. The Princeton deferral letter is basically a soft rejection packaged as a deferral to make the student feel better, give them false hope, give them false optimism. There's a whole bunch of deferred students who think they have a chance of getting in. And the honest answer is that they really, really do not. And I just have something very much against colleges lying to students. And I think there's a whole bunch of different ways admissions officers do that, whether it's getting students who they know they wouldn't accept to apply to decrease their acceptance rates, things that have to do with early decision and yield and all this other nonsense so they can play with the numbers. I get why they do it, but I think it is absolutely wrong. And I think deferrals are just another instances of schools just not not respecting their applicants, not respecting students. Well, that was your long overdue episode of Michael's Rant Time. <laughs> uh, but now I, I think it's also important to just take the deferral as it is. Obviously, your, your chances are reduced in a lot of cases, but there are certain ways that you can help your application out a little bit. And we'd like to talk about a few of those. Uh, Michael, if you could start off by talking about what you try to do uh, to increase your chances of your deferral, and then also anything else you think would be worth doing to help increase those chances. So one thing I did, I so I got deferred, did not get in, right? So take this with what you will. But, you know, the common strategy is to send what's called a letter of continuing interest after the deferral, which is basically you telling the college that I still really like your school despite the deferral. I've had like a month or so to sit on the decision. You are still my first choice. And then you also give any additional updates to your application. So if you did anything amazing after your application was turned in, put that in because you want the college to know. And major updates. Don't be like, I got an A in my biology class. Yeah. Yeah. That's but if, if there was a, an award you earned in one of your big extracurricular activities or you, I don't know, got a book published or something, <laughs> I'm not sure what would be uh, <laughs> the caliber, but <clears throat> definitely something that you could include in there. Yeah, I mean, other things that come to mind, if that you do any volunteering, like if you've done any big volunteer projects, led anything, mm-hmm. completed a very cool project, throw those in. And then what else do you think could have helped your deferral turn into an acceptance, but that you did not do for Princeton? Well, I think one thing that definitely would have helped is having my counselor give uh, Princeton a call, uh, or, you know, the Princeton's admissions officers a call and actually talk one-to-one with an admissions officer. The success of this depends on a lot of different factors. One, if the Princeton people pick up. Two, if your counselor is persuasive and actually knows you. Three, if the counselor and the admissions officer have a pre-existing relationship. Four, if your school and the... There is no way of telling if this is going to work or not. But I think it is beneficial to show the school that you have something, somebody who's an admin at your school, fairly high up, fairly busy schedule, 
willing to make the call and make the pitch on your behalf. I had um, Mr. Gonzalez, you've heard from him in the recommendation letter episode, uh, give a call to Harvard after they waitlisted me, but not to Princeton. Uh, and not sure why I didn't ask him to call Princeton. Um, another stupid mistake on my part, but. Now those are two things that you can try to pursue that will help improve your chances. We'll talk about a bit about more of the counselor call because that might be a little intimidating trying to approach your busy counselor in this time of last minute uh, stress and have making sure their students uh, submitted all their things for colleges once you get back from the break. But one thing I think worth mentioning, uh, just to add some humor to the podcast, there is uh, some some video on YouTube of this uh, girl who got deferred and ended up writing a song, I believe, right, Michael? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was a song about uh, the deferral and then why they wanted to go to the school. We'll definitely link it in the show notes below at the emissionsuncovered.com website um, so, so that you can watch that. I don't know if I recommend making a song, but I believe it worked in this case. So maybe, maybe something worth pursuing. Now, like I said, for a lot of students, uh, they have busy counselors. I know in my school, we only have one counselor for all of our students. Uh, it might be a little uh, inconvenient for them to make that call. So how would you recommend approaching your counselor and asking them to make that call on your behalf? And is there anything that you would uh, recommend including in the pitch to your counselor you want to make sure that they highlight about your application? It depends on your relationship with the counselor, right? If you go to a massive public school with a thousand kids per class and want a counselor that serves all of them, then your relationship isn't going to be as tight and it might be a harder sell if you hadn't really talked to them earlier. For me, it was a little bit different, right? Because Mr. Gonzalez and I had a pre-existing relationship. I talked to him a lot. He helped me a lot with debate stuff and figuring out like logistics of debate, which is an entire other different story, which I'll probably tell someday. Um, so mine was a very easy ask. In fact, Gonzalez, I think, even mentioned it at one point where he's like, hey, if you need me to make a call to these schools, let me know and I'll make the call, right? So he basically pitched the idea or kind of like, put the idea into my mind um, before. Now, if you don't have as close of a relationship with your counselor, you know, which I understand, um, then I think what you have to do is just be very upfront about the ask. Hey, Mrs. Um, counselor. counselor lady or man, <laughs> I just got deferred slash waitlisted from Princeton. Princeton's my dream school. XXX reason why. Do you mind giving a call to their admissions office, office and talking to them about why I would be a good student there or a good candidate for admission or, you know, something like that, right? So a hard ask um, with a very specific request, right? Don't be like, hey, can you just, like, talk to them for me, please? Thanks. You know, you want, you want to be very clear about what you want them to do. And you also want to include in that a little pitch about what who you think you are. So... If you've been following our advice, you have an overarching narrative, right? You apply to the school as something, as, I don't know, someone who cares about helping other people or, you know, whatever the overarching narrative is. That needs to be in the initial pitch. So it guides the counselor's call. The next thing you want to do is you want to kind of formulate that, what you want them to say, to a little outline. So as we mentioned on the teacher recommendation letter episode, many teachers request a brag sheet or a list of accomplishments, or a list of things that you've done, just so they know. That should be what you give to the counselor to, because it can control what they say about you, so that what they say about you is consistent and supports the narrative that you've been building throughout your application. Number three, 
is a logistical note, but, you know, logistical notes are often very important, is that you need to have a way for the counselor to contact the school. You cannot ask your counselor to look for it. Especially if they're not tech savvy, they're not going to find it. So you need to be the one who finds the number and gives it to the counselor. I don't know, Dominic. Would you feel comfortable asking your counselor to make that call? Uh, I I would be comfortable asking my counselor, and that's something I will definitely be doing. But I can see how it would be difficult to, especially if you're in a big public school, to go and approach your counselor. Uh, My my school is even smaller than Michael's, so we only right now have 70 kids in my graduating class. So it's definitely a smaller community. Um, They are expanding which is another episode, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would be definitely okay with that, but I do see the added troubles, uh, if you don't have that established relationship with your counselor. I mean, the other thing is that it is fairly easy, um, not easy, but it is also another option for you just to ask a teacher you're close to, or a coach you're close to, to make that call on your behalf too. I think maybe, like, a principal or an admin or a counselor might have an additional weight to it because they are like part of the admin but you know if you're not close to the counselors and you're close to a teacher the teacher is going to be a better advocate on your behalf so it can also be a good thing to get a teacher to do that i think there's something special about some one-on-one contact some personal phone call on your behalf that might not you know because like i think there is something about personal contact that like a letter cannot communicate as always, there's going to be some helpful links in the show notes for the post on our website. Uh, so head over there if you're listening on a different medium and you can find out ways to help uh, write your letter of continued interest or look at the different numbers that schools defer because we'll have that in there as well so you can see if your school defers a lot. Also, I think it's a good practice just to do your own research for the numbers because we, you know, we can't talk about every school because that would be way too many hours long so a really boring definitely podcast, do your research on the numbers and then the chance of being accepted after that now one thing i will say is it's kind of difficult to tell a kid to not let the uh deferral letter control their life especially if it's a dream school but you have to realize at some point that the, you have other applications going out yeah and you can't let the obsession of this one school control your application and weigh the other ones down um no it, it's you got the deferral letter back it's gone uh, you need to focus on the other schools that you definitely still have a very good shot with. And then I, I would say also don't let this put you down in the sense that you think you're not going to get any other schools. This is just one school. All the schools are looking for different needs they want to fill. Maybe you do this one extracurricular activity and they just had a ton of applicants that year that do that one thing. And they don't want too many of the same type of applicants. Uh, you know, that's something you have to accept the school is going to do and then you just move on to the next one. I would say you need to stay confident in your application and who you are and know that obviously they missed out on not accepting you and you just need to move on to the next school. Yeah, I mean, like, I think I mentioned this in the deferral episode I did alone after the decisions came out, which is that this school that gave you a decision is only one data point. In no other context would you make a decision off of one data point. Like, if a buddy decided to take marijuana before a final and did amazingly after on that final, you wouldn't say, as a rule, you should take marijuana before a final. At least I hope you wouldn't because that would be very, very dumb. And you probably would only think that 
if you were on marijuana, right? You know, like, in no other context would you change your entire life or how you behave or how you live based on one single fact. Don't let this one decision do that to you, right? You need to stay the course. You cannot rip up your application and write a completely new one. I just don't think you have time at this point, especially if you're listening to this episode, because it'll probably be a few days before, you know, regular decision deadlines. You have to be confident in your application, your narrative. You can't let one data point kind of disrupt everything. So just stay the course. Yeah, I like what Michael said about not ripping up the application. You obviously wrote those essays before and you believe in them initially to send them. If this school, if this one school did not like your application as a whole, don't go changing that one essay. And, and you know, also it might not be that they don't like you. And we'll, when we talk about what to do when you get rejected, how you should treat that, we'll mention this even more, but it, it just might be the case that a human error put you in the wrong pile, or there was a close, you know, 6-5 vote in the admissions office committee. This is an art, not a science. It's not a formula that you're plugged into, and if you're above some certain number, you're in. If you're below some certain number, you're out. The very fact that this system emphasizes essays so much should show you that this is a very human task of evaluating students. So just because you get rejected from one school just means that a set of other humans evaluate your application and, you know, thought that you might not be the best fit for the school, that you might not be good enough or whatever. That does not make an independent, scientific, objective judgment of you as a human that's this the judgment of like 12 adults in a smoke-filled room. It's not the truth. It is just what happened to happen this one time. So please, please, please don't freak out. And I know that's like, I know you're still going to freak out. Like I still freaked out. So don't worry. I get it. But I just want to say, you know, just don't let this disrupt everything that you've done so far. Trust us, we both know that deferral letters are something that is that are difficult to deal with, uh, but it's just something that you have to keep moving through and focus on your other applications. There's plenty of other good schools on your list, so please do not obsess over this. It's something that you're going to laugh at later on in life, and you're definitely going to enjoy the school that you're going to go to. Uh, one thing that we would like to tell you about uh, second semester, once I finally get through the craziness of college applications at Michael's school, uh, start settling down. Uh, if you go to bit.ly slash aupodnew, uh, that is where we you, you can put in your email address for an emailing list about new podcasts that will be coming out soon. Michael, do you want to talk a bit uh, more about what type of podcast we have coming out? Yeah, so once you're finished with college admissions, I don't think you want to listen to a podcast about college admissions anymore. So in the new year, we'll be launching new podcasts about transitioning to adulthood, some weird logistical things that you need to know and what what it's like to transition to college. We'll have a whole new group of people. It won't just be us three anymore. We'll us three will still be doing some podcasts, but you'll get to meet some of my friends from Columbia and some of Dominic and these friends as well. So go to bit.ly slash aupodnew and give us your email so we can tell you when all those new podcasts come out. With that, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.